I'm in a strange town tonight. Nobody knows me here. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. Nobody expects anything of me. I can disappoint no one. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, audio samples, and audible odds and ends we find all over the world. In other words, we curate. And ReSound is almost always a showcase of curated work. But once in a while, we like to step out of that role and actually bring new work into the world. So how do you make dozens of audio producers from far and wide, both novice and veteran, create new radio stories for you? Well, you give them a few rules and a few incentives, find some amazing collaborators, and voila! You have the Third Coast Short Docs Challenge, which in 2010 brought in 141 entries from all over the world. It was a way to sort of throw open the doors of the medium and say, anyone can do this, come give it a try. Rule number one. Use one of four titles selected from the book's album, The Way Out, as the inspiration and title of your submission. Rule number two. The length of your submission should not exceed three minutes. On today's ReSound, we'll hear some of our favorite stories from the 2010 Third Coast Short Docs Challenge, Book Odds, and talk to the organizer of the project, Third Coast Artistic Director Julie Shapiro, about the rules, the incentives, and the collaboration with the books. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. It's great to be here. You know how I love to talk about the short docs every year. Well, let's start by talking about the collaboration between uh, Third Coast and the books. For each challenge, we try to find a perfect partner, somebody from outside the radio world, because frankly, the radio world isn't as big as it could be. And what we are always trying to do is make it bigger. And one of the best ways to do this is to team up with another artistic endeavor or, or partnership or or artists working in other fields and try to draw some of their audience into our world. And this Short Docs Challenge, uh, which we called the Book Odds Challenge, came about because of a long-standing desire to work with one of our favorite bands, The Books. And why? Yeah, why did we think they'd be perfect yeah. collaborators? Well, um, basically what they do is they write beautiful music, but they also take samples from all over the place, like every little dusty corner of the world that they find, audio recordings, videotapes that they convert to audio, just bizarre sounds, stories, narrations. Um, they're constantly collecting, so they sort of curate their own collection of sounds, and they put all of these different samples into their music, uh, so they actually end up being storytellers. And that's where I thought the direct connection was to what Third Coast is invested in, which is using sound and story to express things about the world. Hear a collective rumbling in America. I've lost my house. You've lost your house. I don't suppose it matters which way we go. This great society is going smash. And we should say that the books are two, when you keep saying they, but it's really just two guys. Oh, yeah. Two very, very, very talented guys. At the core of the books, Nick Zamudo and Paul DeYoung, uh, they occasionally play with Nick's brother, and they draw in some other musicians, but really from the get-go, the project's been the two of them. Mm-hmm. 
putting things together and organizing himself. You do not need to stand on one foot. So every challenge has a very particular set of rules. Uh, what were the rules for this challenge? Right. We, we set the rules up so people have a starting point. It's a really important part of this project because um, the constraint, there's this idea that creativity through constraint is sometimes easier to achieve than, you know, starting with a blank canvas or a blank slate. So we have rules with every challenge, and they're always different. We arrive at the rules with the partner. So uh, we talked with Nick and Paul quite a lot about what the rules would be for the Book Odds Challenge. Rule number one. Use one of four titles selected from the book's album, The Way Out, as the inspiration and title of your submission. Titles are A Cold Freezing Night, I Didn't Know That, All You Need Is a Wall, and Chain of Missing Links. Rule number two. The length of your submission should not exceed three minutes. Rule number three. Use at least two of the following eight audio samples in your submission. I'm in a strange town tonight. Nobody knows me here. Nobody expects anything of me. I can disappoint no one. Okay, so that is what the producers had to uh, choose from. And if you listen carefully, you can hear at least two of those in every uh, submission. If you listen to even a handful of the short docs, you'll start hearing them. And it becomes kind of a game to, to find the samples in the pieces. It's almost like the where's Waldo, where are the samples <laughs> in the pieces. So we're about to dive in and listen to some of the submissions. Um, but is there anything you want to tell us or anything you want to comment on before we do? Well, maybe one thing to know before we do this is that we had an abnormally large submission collection of really great pieces featuring kids. Now, I should say that we have a kind of low tolerance, high radar for uh, the cute kid factor on the radio. It's not something that as an organization we're usually drawn to all that much, but every piece we're going to play for you today with an adorable child in it we think is really worth listening to and hearing. And It's a great story besides the fact that it has some cute kids in it. Title, Chain of Missing Links. Producer, Eve Abrams. Description, the heartfelt reactions of first grade students in New Orleans to the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. I do not like what's happening with the ocean. It's really making me sad. Whose fault do you think it is, Kennedy? Whoever dug a hole in the ground and made the oil spill. Because whoever did it, they owe me an apology. Has, it, has the oil stopped coming out of the ground or is it still coming out? It's still coming out. 
it's still coming out, and I don't want it to still coming out. Cause is, is it coming out while we're sitting here? Yes. Okay. I'll pray every night for it to go away. Let's all say our prayers. We absolutely hope cocktail works. Depending on what happens with the top hat, it's quite likely that we could do the jump shot either way. The tar balls washing ashore in the Florida Keys are an example of what might happen should oil become entrained in the loop current. Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal is still asking for federal permission to build sand barriers linking chains of outer islands to protect inland marshes. If that's successful, we would be bringing this, uh, this incident to a close. I think it caught all our eyes when uh, Doug Soto said, if we get this top kill, we're done. We are not done. New Orleans is not just a port for New Orleans or a port for Louisiana. We're a port of national significance, and if a port is closed, the link in the chain of economic development and the movement of commerce is, is gone to hell in a handbasket. A chain can't do its job with a missing link. A chain of missing links, all it would be is links everywhere. It's going to be a broken, messed up chain. I wish I could fly all the way up into the sky. And while the oil's still coming up, I'm not on the ground so it don't touch me. Do you think that it's going to get bigger and bigger? It's going to hit our city and then we're going to have to let ourselves die? Because um, if, if, if I see oil, if I see a little bit of oil on the streets, I'm sneaking away to Washington, D.C. What are you going to do in Washington, D.C.? Well, live with the president. I'd rather don't have a, a car and let the fish stay alive because you, you can walk. That's what legs are for. Chain of Missing Links by Eve Abrams. Title, Chain of Missing Links, El Pajaro Volador. Producer, Brendan Baker. Description, a Spanish guitarist and multi-instrumentalist talks about her pajaro volador, one of her many homemade instruments built from recycled objects. I call this the, my pajaro volador, it's a flying bird, you know? You know, there's something about wind, wings and flying and air and breathing and birds. They, it, there's a, a, a common string, the way birds sing, you know, they are the great masters. You know, try to imitate what they do with these tubes. So that's why I was doing this. The... This is a hose I found. It's a plastic hose. It's just, you blow it with a technique. Because it's a matter of angle. Then, uh, then, you know, I just decorate it with feathers. Also, people have looked at me playing, and they came with a feather. And they said, this is for, for your bird, you know. Sort of like wanting to participate in decorating my instrument. Yeah. 
And also, it has another sound that I like very much. And then these other colored threads. All these other strings that are here. Bright blue, the other is red, yellow. This pink one is the string of a skite of a boy that I met in Oaxaca. He's like six years old. He lives in these really high mountains where all the kids play with the skites. I was born in a big city in Madrid and I never had a skite in my life. So he taught me how to make skite. So it also is related to wind and to flying, yeah. Uh, I was in the desert with it, you know, and then when the wind, how will you say it, roll it? Yeah, like make it swing, going in circles fast. So that way, you know, the wind gets into the, the tube naturally and it makes the sound. also make your spirit fly. So that's why I call this my, my flying bird. Mi pájaro volador. Mi pájaro volador. Chain of Missing Links. El pájaro volador. By Brennan Baker. So it is. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Today, we're sampling from the results of the 2010 Third Coast Short Docs Challenge, Book Ops. Our call out to everyone far and wide, regardless of experience, to submit short audio stories that followed a few rules. Each story had to be no more than three minutes long and include at least two of eight sound samples provided by the band and our collaborator on the project, The Books. And be named after one of four song titles from the book's album, The Way Out. After that, the stories could go in any direction, and indeed, they did. Every year, it's really fascinating to hear how people from every corner of the world take the same building blocks, the same set of rules, and then create these wildly different stories, depending on how the rules uh, relate to their own lives, I think. And how important is it that people follow the rules to the T. I mean, how much leeway is there? Well, we encourage, I would say, a broad interpretation of the rules. They have to be followed. It has to be discernible. And they had to have titles that fell in line with the song titles that we chose, although you could sort of, people started uh, changing those around just a little bit. And and that was fine, too, because each story took on its own sort of personality in relation to the song title. Um, And then, absolutely, they couldn't go over three minutes. So that one we're pretty strict about. Um, The ones that challenge us to think about how the rules are actually followed are some of the more exciting pieces. So... Uh, we would also have those in the running for for the ultimate uh, choice of four. Title, All You Need Is a Microwave. Producer, David Schultz. Description, Sometimes interviews take strange turns, especially when the interviewee is a nine-year-old boxer with an inventive imagination. J.R. Jenkins is a boxer. He lives in Prince George's County, Maryland, and he is nine years old. 
I spoke with him at a fundraiser for his youth boxing club. Tell me more about that. You, you said you um, you got involved in boxing because you, you got into a fight on the streets. Tell me about that. I never got into a fight on the streets, but people mess with me and they get me upset. So I just let it out. And what were they doing? They kept on calling me names, messing with me because my mother wasn't married when I was born. They kept on hitting me, fighting me. But now that you know how to box, and now you have boxing skills, do they mess with you anymore? Well, they still mess with me, but they don't know, but they don't know what I can do. What I can do, but I won't do nothing to them. Why do you like boxing? Tell me about why you like boxing. Well, boxing, I like boxing from the beginning because it inspired, it inspired them, and inspired and motivated me to, to do things that that I think I can't do, but I can try to do. Like what? Like. I'm trying to be a scientist and invent a wireless microwave. A wireless microwave? Yes. Where, where did you get the idea for that? I got the idea from when I was five and everybody kept on getting shocked by the plugs of the microwave. So I tried, so, I'm, so I want to invent one that's harmless to people. Would, would it use batteries or how do you, how would it power, do you power it? It's just wireless, no batteries, no nothing. Just take it with you. It's like a little button on the side that you press. I would try to, I would try to put the buttons on it that tell you what food you can make, like frozen food or like chicken or something. That's smart, yeah. Or like popcorn or something like that, or, or yeah, popcorn or anything that you can make that's food or organic. How would this work? This this sounds like a really interesting idea, actually. Tell me more about that. It will work. First, I gotta get into first I gotta get into a great science school, into a great college, to first first to get the gadgets and gizmos, and then I have to pay attention to school and ignore the bullies, and then I'm okay. All You Need Is a Microwave by David Schultz. Title, All You Need Is Gum on a Wall. Producer, Emily Eagle. Description, A Monster Grows While Attracting Tourists in Downtown Seattle. One night, there was a line outside the theater. I'm in a strange town tonight. It's kind of a dark alley with cobblestones, and it's slanting down, so be careful when you walk. Nobody knows me here. I got goosebumps. It's kind of creepy. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Now, this thing had killed a doc. But what was it? Uh, I don't know. Maybe... Stop with it, kid. Okay, it's greed. But it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger. Is that an enormous piece of gum? Gum, gum, gum. Every one of you, look out, because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. 
the manager of the theater didn't like people to bring their gum inside the theater because he had problems with people sticking their the gum underneath their seats. So he would ask people not to bring chewing gum into the theater. So people would line up at the box office, and it was a natural phenomenon. People just started sticking gum on the wall. Two teenagers see it first. It started as a whole bunch of kids just vandalizing it. Because one person stuck it, and another person stuck it, and then another person. The theater was actually asked twice to remove the gum by Pike Place Market. So everyone else stuck it. From then on, there's no stopping the gum as it spreads from town to town. Why else would he come to Seattle if it's not to put gum on the wall? That's the only thing he wanted to do coming from Phoenix, Arizona, is just to put gum on the wall. How much would I have to pay you to pull off a piece and chew it? Priceless. It's indestructible. It's indescribable. Nothing can stop it. And it's living proof that gum is not biodegradable. This town is in danger. How can it be stopped? Mob hysteria sweeps one city before long the nation. And the songs say, oh, beautiful America, but this, this I, I, don't, I don't think it's pretty. I think it's repulsive, but cool at the same time. It's gum on a wall. Like, why are people attracted to it? Brother, we'll lick the wall if you, if you interview him. Lawrence, come here. He's gonna interview you. Lick it, 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 lick it. Gum on a wall. All you need is gum on a wall by Emily Eagle. Title All You Need Is a Wall, Mimo. Producer, Alex Blair. Description, nothing makes sense when these things happen. All you need is a wall, or a bed, or a hillside. And you take that wall, and that bed, and that hillside, and you scream into it because she is dying. Because one moment she is happy and singing. She loves to sing. And the next moment she's in a coma. And she will be in that coma for three days. And then she will die five days before her 87th birthday. Your grandmother. Your Mimo. Okay, Mimo, I'm just sitting down next to you with my microphone. I'm just going to record your breathing. And this is my hand on your hand, okay? You sit around her bedside with other family members, or you are there alone. You cut the blossoms from the lemon tree outside and make a crown around her head. You think that maybe she can still smell the flowers. And you talk to her and talk to her, because they tell you that hearing is the last thing to go. You tell her it's okay if she wants to go, but she knows you and she knows you're lying. We bring in the CDs she recorded of her old cassette tapes, the music of her childhood. The quality is terrible, but we put the small boombox by her bed and just sit there, listening to the songs, slipping our hand into her hand, thinking that we feel movement and telling each other so. And then, suddenly, her voice, 
saying my mother's name. The next is for you, Margot. Shake a hip. We stare at each other wide-eyed. And then we realize it was recorded on the CD. We press repeat on that track over and over and over again. Later, when it is dark, you will go to that wall, or that bed, or that hillside, and you will be there. And that's all. All You Need Is A Wall, Mimo, by Alex Blair. It was a way to sort of throw open the doors of the medium and say, anyone can do this, come give it a try. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Today, we're showcasing the results of the 2010 Third Coast Short Docs Challenge Book Odds that invited people from all over the world to make short radio stories inspired by sound samples and song titles from our collaborator on the project, The Books. I'm talking with Julie Shapiro, Artistic Director of the Third Coast Festival. What was the extent of the collaboration with The Books? What exactly did they do? Uh, They were on board from the start, and I think they were excited to also see what people would do with samples from their library. So they were very active. Uh, They helped us pick the samples, helped winnow down a huge selection of samples into ones that we could consider and then consult with them. And then they also helped us choose the winners. We winnowed down the submissions to a manageable number for them to listen to. And then we had a couple conversations with them about who the winners would be. And did you find yourself in tussles with them? Were you all having passionate wars about what to include and what not? I loved how vocal and opinionated they were. And they were bringing a musician's perspective and listening, you know, from... In a different way. Yeah. So when when we would explain, well, from a radio perspective, we were thinking about this. I think that was interesting for them. Um, And we had some really good conversations um, about, you know, what was meritorious about these pieces and and then the ubiquitous, well, I just like this piece or I just don't like this piece. So um, I found their creative energies really helpful in this and that they were really up for it, really game to sort of come along with us. And then this was in the middle of a, a huge tour. They were starting off to launch their new record over the summer. So we were really grateful for the time that they gave to the project. Title, A Cold Freezing Night, The Enigmatic Man. Producer, Katie Mingle. Description, was it just a dream? I can't remember now. It was a cold, freezing night when I ran into the enigmatic man. I was walking home from the bar when he stopped me for a cigarette. He didn't ask exactly, just gestured toward my pack of cigarettes and raised his eyebrows as if to say, could I get one of those? How's it going, I asked. He didn't answer at first, and then, just as I was starting to walk away, he said, I'm in a strange town tonight. Nobody knows me here. 
Nobody expects anything of me. I can disappoint no one. Okay, I said. I'm not sure why I wasn't scared of him, but his tall, lanky frame was not imposing. When he started following me home, I just felt sad for him, like he was a puppy who had lost his way. My friends had built a fire in the yard at my house. We didn't have heat that winter, so it was warmer to sit around in the yard by the fire than to be inside. When we walked up, one of my roommates said, Hey man, who are you? And the enigmatic man said, I'm in a strange town tonight. Nobody knows me here. Nobody expects anything of me. I can disappoint no one. My roommate tossed him a can of beer. We sat around drinking and talking until 3 a.m. The enigmatic man didn't say a word, but he seemed content. When the fire was almost out, we went inside and crawled under piles of cold blankets, leaving the enigmatic man alone in the yard. Before I fell asleep, I looked out the window and saw him staring into the last flickering coals of the fire. I yell-whispered out the window, Hey, mister, don't you have anywhere to go? And he yell-whispered back, I'm I'm in a strange town tonight. tonight. Nobody Nobody knows me here. Nobody Nobody expects expects anything anything of me here. I can disappoint no one. I went outside and gave him a blanket. He smiled and put the blanket around his shoulders. In the morning, he was gone. In the ash of the fire, I noticed the burnt-up remnants of a wallet. Inside were his driver's license and one of those pictures people get taken in the photo studio at Sears with their families. In the picture, the enigmatic man had his arm around a woman and his hand on the shoulder of a young boy. The name on his license was illegible, but I thought I could make out an address, so I called information to find his phone number. I dialed the number, but no one answered. Not his wife, or his kid, or even a machine. It just rang, and rang, and rang. A Cold Freezing Night, The Enigmatic Man, by Katie Mingle. Title, A Cold Freezing Night, Inverse Winter. Producer, Sarah Bromer. Description, in Tucson, Arizona, summer is like winter in Canada. I dream of a cold, freezing night. I am a Canadian. A cold, freezing night is my birthright. Instead, I'm here, naked on the couch at 4.23 in the afternoon. My cat and I stare out the window at the bright dirt yard below, the prickly pear cactus shimmering in an ocean of heat, ancient insects clinging to the undersides of branches, dominating the air with their metallic drone, the cicadas. You can hide indoors, but you know the heat is out there waiting for you. Everything is backwards in this inverse winter. People push through the heat on their bicycles like Canadian farmers struggling to make it from the house to the barn in the middle of a blizzard. Minus six is 106. Old people are warned to stay indoors. Break of day is break of night. But even at night, the wind is hot like a hairdryer. In Nova Scotia, where I belong, every night is a cold, freezing night, even tonight. 4th of July. 
In my mind, I see the cold, freezing moon rise over the cold, freezing waters of the Bay of Fundy. My aunts and cousins bundled in ponchos around the wood fire. The distant cry of the loon. I remember one time my Canadian cousin and I picked up this old paperback called Johnny Come Deadly, and we read it out loud to each other, giggling, on a lovely, freezing cold Canadian summer day. The main guy, Johnny, steps off an airplane in Arizona and says, It was hot. Hotter than hell in Technicolor. We thought that was so funny and ridiculous. How did I get here? It's the fault of my 20s. Such wanderlust. And now I'm here, 35, employed and in love, displaced, maladapted, sunburned. But perhaps it's not so strange that I am here. Perhaps it is the Canadian in me that settled here in this land of extremes, where people know what it is to suffer and wait. For weeks I've watched the clouds gather over the Catalina Mountains. The sky was blue this morning, but now the clouds are gathering once again. The wind picks up, but this time you can smell something in it. Creosote. The wind blows harder and a chair tips over. And then this. And this. And this is what we wait for. The storm is this inverse winter's sweet respite. When it happens, you know why it is they call it the monsoon. There's so much more emotion in it. And when the monsoon comes and I run out to the yard and laugh with my neighbor, I belong. I am here, one of these people. The monsoon is my Canadian fire in this inverse winter's freezing cold night. A Cold Freezing Night, Inverse Winter, by Sarah Bromer. A cold freezing night. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Today we're sampling from the results of the 2010 Third Coast Short Docs Challenge, Book Odds. In a few minutes, we'll play the four winning short docs. But first, a history lesson from some very adorable historians. Title, I Didn't Know That, A Short People's History of the United States. Producer, Stephanie Coleman. Description, a young rendering of an old story. It may seem like an unlikely setting, but the Carroll Park Playground in Brooklyn, New York is a hotbed for intellectual discourse. Amidst strollers and monkey bars, a group of young New York academics gather to recollect the history of our country. Well, it started when there were dinosaurs around. Then came cavemen, then came the Ice Age, and then came us. Well, there were Indians before. Yeah, well, there were Indians. They discovered America. Well, Columbus did, but they discovered America Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. It was a courageous thing to do, but someone was already here. And then other people found it, and then it, it became America. The English got colonies. 
And those colonies, they didn't want to beat England. And they did this whole war, the Revolutionary War, and then they became a different country. They fondly remember the nation's first president. Well, the most important guy was George Washington. George Washington. And he also had wooden teeth. And the great emancipator? No, not Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. He was 60 president. I know how he died. Well, he was at a movie, and he was thinking to let all the slaves go. And then someone heard him and just shot him. I think he probably had slaves, and he he didn't want to let them go different people had different ideas like on slavery and uh, rights. It wasn't very civil. But so I have no idea why they call it the Civil War. They maintain no illusions about the realities of war. A recent kindergarten graduate describes the end of World War II. In America dropped a mushroom bomb in Japan. And a lot of people died. What do you think about that? Well, that's the thing that happens in the war. You. You have to be prepared to lose troops and stuff like that. But eventually there comes triumph and optimism. And I remember um, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. He was a very great man because in the old days, um, say there was a diner and the white people could only go in that diner and the black people couldn't. And the water fountains are the same and the playground are the same and the bus. Is the same. Now today, it doesn't matter like who you are, what color you are, it doesn't matter. This is a large milestone because the first African American president. And I hope that when I grow up, maybe I'll be the first woman president. The job that I want in the future is to be a, a midwife. I might want to be a congressman. My job I'd like to be is a dancer. I wonder what it's going to be like, because we'll never know until tomorrow. (laughs) I Didn't Know That, A Short People's History of the United States, by Stephanie Coleman. So each year, four of the submissions are chosen as the official short doc selections. The producers of these stories win a trip to Chicago to attend our conference and present their work in front of a live audience. Julie, how do you choose the winning stories? Well, the four that we choose out of all the submissions, we usually want to show a pretty good spread of um, execution of the idea. So we want different topics. We want a creative use of sound to be involved. We'll look at these through the lenses that we use when we listen to any radio story. Um, what's the story choice? How's the writing? How is sound used um, to tell the story? But we're also looking for a geographical spread. We're looking for innovation, people surprising us. We're looking for stories that um, are made by different kinds of people, so not just NPR reporters and not just first time, you know, writing students from down the road. So we're just looking for as varied a selection of four that we can get. And we're just going to say a word before we hear each one. We're going to start with Francis Willock's piece, which is so much fun. Julie, what, what do you want to say about this one? Well, Francis is an independent producer who lives in Canada, 
And I have to say this was a topic we had never heard broached on the radio. And something that we really love about this piece is the sense of humor in it, because I think humor doesn't come out in informational radio often enough. And I and I hasten to add that not only have you probably never heard of this on the radio, you've probably never heard or seen it anywhere. <laughs> but you will probably go to the internet and look for it after hearing this piece. Definitely. Title, All You Need Is A Wall, Slug Sex. Producer, Francis Willick. Description. In 2004, a group of Pride Day revelers gathered for a party on Creighton Street in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and were treated to a riveting display of hermaphroditic slug sex. Earlier in the night, we'd been having a barbecue in the backyard, and we had seen these two slugs following each other. Uh, up we saw the wall. two slugs um, like crawling up the wall. There, they were touching, like that one head was touching the other's tail, and we were like, "What are they up to?" And then um, I went to another party, and I came back. I think probably not more than half an hour later, and everyone was like, "They're doing it!" Like the slugs. Everyone was freaking out in the backyard, and um, they were like crawling on top of each other. They were also secreting and, a bunch of. Um, I don't know if there's a nicer term for that. A lot of slime was. Coming out. Slime. There's this really gross yellow slime from it. Can you order some slime? The slime was so much that they were barely touching the wall. They were starting to kind of hang from it. They were hanging bit. by the slime and they were like twirling around each other. Full body twist. They ended up looking like like a spiral kind of, but hanging by a big thick like slime goo thing off of a shingle. But this is the part, this is like totally mind-blowing. And then there was these, this white, white sort of tubes. These big clear tubes. Things came out of what looked like their head. Like it was this huge thing that just came out of their neck. And then those started like twisting around each other in the same way as the slugs are twisted around each other. In like a, another f- kind of full twist. Yolanda was there and she has she saw this happen last year. So and wait she till was they like, bloom. And everyone was like, they bloom? You just wait till it gets a fin on it. <laughs> and we were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so then the ends of the like tubes that come out of them, the translucent tubes, they get really big and it looks like a flower. Like, like petals? So it was like a fin. They're like leaves. It sort of looked like a cabbage. Like it really looked like a miniature world, like a whole other like sort of planet or something. So like I can't even tell what they do at that point. And then they started like balling up in a ball. And it kind of like And like pulsating. Pulsated. And the fins were waving around and we were just like, what the f***? And like people were actually oh. making funny comments. Are we done? Well, that doesn't happen when I It doesn't. <laughs> and then the the like tubes kind of break apart. Not break because it's it's slow and slimy. They just sucked back into their heads and disappeared. Kind of. Then they kind of curled all over each other, like sort of like they were cuddling or something. With you. <laughs> and then they separated. And that was f***ing amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All You Need Is A Wall, Slug Sex, by Francis Willick. Matt Purdy's 
piece is next, and uh, I have to say I have a slight personal connection to it, not that I know Matt well or anything, but I have been on many bike trips, and not as long as as what is going on in this selection, but um, what I love about this piece is he also takes this gargantuan amount of time and space and condenses it. Yeah, in the great tradition of road trip stories, Matt Purdy, making his first radio piece ever, by the way. Astonishing. (laughs) Brings us uh, all of the things you would expect from a road story, including personal existential crisis and meeting intriguing strangers and, and just finding a lot of adventure along the way, and happily we're invited along for that trip. Title. Bicycle Chain of Missing Links. Producer, Matt Purdy. Description. An 80-day bicycle trip from New York City to Seattle. Camping and recording along the way. Condensed into three minutes. I'm in New York Princeton, City. Princeton, Bluebell, Lancaster, East Berlin, Cowan's Gap, Belford, Rockwood. Pittsburgh. How long do you think it'll take? Uh, we're thinking 80 days. Hopefully. Huh? You got some mountains ahead of you. Yeah, I bet. I uh, biked 85 miles yesterday. It is 2.30 a.m. I am in my tent. It is raining, and my tent has holes in it. I'm figuring out that I I don't really have a camper's temperament. Salem, Huron, Grand Rapids, Chicago. I'll just crunch these exoskeletons for you. I have three of them here, and I have my garden gloves on. So they're nice and crispy and crunchy, and if you were to check on the internet, they even have cicada recipes. Now, I wouldn't dare make anything with them myself, but of course, you know, with the information that we get on the internet, why not put the cicadas in there too? Yeah, yeah. I wanted an old cheetah to do it about. Jesus did the best he could do when he didn't smoke reef of that cigarette. Gurney, Whitewater, Madison, Wanawa, Lacrosse. I am standing on top of a bridge on the Mississippi River. Lake City, Minneapolis, St. Francis, Royal Eagle Bend, Battle Lake, and Fargo. There is now rain dripping on my head. I have no pot or cup to put the rain water in. I thought I heard something. I have these uh, sleeping pills. Not sleeping pills, but like Tylenol. PM. Alright, so I'm in a tunnel. It's pitch black, except for the entrances. And I've got my headlamp, and, but it's not doing a whole lot of good. Page, Benford, Lakota, Rugby, Stan, Willis, Colbert's, Wolf Point, Malta, Chinook, Haver, Chester. I think what I'm going to do is move my sleeping bag over to the left a little bit so that the drip does not fall directly on top of me and I will just deal with it in the morning. Okay. I'm glad we've had this talk. As if on cue. Brownie, East Glacier, West Glacier, Whitefish, Eureka, Libby, Clark, Sand, Blue, Kettle Falls, Republic, Swiss, Ross, Cedar, Woolly, Seattle. I'm no one. Nobody knows me here. Nobody expects anything of me. In a strange town, I'm anything.
Bicycle Chain of Missing Legs by Matt Purdy. Next, we're going to hear Andrea Salenzi's entry um, in the Cold Freezing Night category. Uh, Julie, what do you want to tell us about this one? Well, I think one of the hallmarks of a great radio story is a strong central character. And I think Andrea kind of uh, hit, hit the that nail one. On the head. <laughs> yeah, uh, I challenge you to not fall in love with the protagonist of this little piece by the end of it. Yeah, and another thing that I find so interesting about this piece, the production is kind of minimal, but the story, and as you say, the characters really come out. Yeah, kudos to Andrea for telling a very big story very simply. Title, A Cold Freezing Night, Doomed Lovers. Producer, Andrea Salenzi. Description, I said this is nuts, and he agreed. I said this is nuts. And he agreed. I said, this is really nuts. And he agreed. But we're going to do it anyhow, aren't we? I remember a bitterly cold, it uh, wasn't a hurricane, a blizzard. And the radio and the TV were broadcasting the fact that all roads were closed. They could not keep up with the snow. But on this cold, bitter night, we were determined we were going to the opera in New York City. Gil had an almost fatal heart attack Thanksgiving of 1978. And the first real venture out of the house was to be a trip to the opera. Gil said, we are going. We knew that he would not survive another heart attack. We had him wrapped up in mufflers and we had quilts in the car and we went. We were in the city in 45 minutes. Never, ever did we fly like we flew that night. It was like God wanted Gil to be there, and he was so happy. Oh, my God. But don't ask me what opera we saw that night. Never did the orchestra play better or the singers sing better. They were singing for opera lovers, and they were singing about two doomed lovers. But don't they always wind up singing about doomed lovers, no matter what the opera is. It was the beginning of his second act. The first act was the first 49 years. The second act, which we were not sure would ever happen, actually began that night. And that second act lasted from the age of 49 to the age of 65 when he did die of a second fatal heart attack. Quickly and rather painlessly, actually. Then it was my pain after that. A Cold Freezing Night 
Doomed Lovers by Andrea Salenzi. The last piece we're going to hear from Niall Farrell is a piece so unlike the others um, and, in fact, has really no narrative story, but it packs such a big punch. And it really left me thinking about it a lot. Yeah, this one I like to think of as beautifully oppressive. Uh, Niall is actually a filmmaker from Northern Ireland and has a very personal relationship to the topic of his piece, um, which is not even a story, as you said. It's more of a list, and it's delivered in a highly stylized way. And you know exactly what's going on about 30 seconds, if 30 seconds into the piece, and you're still going to listen to two and a half more minutes because there is two and a half more minutes of information to share. And if you find it oppressive, well, he's trying to say something about the content that he's talking about, and I think it's a perfect example of form and function. Um, it's, It's really one of the most remarkable bits of audio we've heard, let alone short doc submissions over the years. Title. All you need is a separation barrier. Producer. Niall Farrell. Description. From Baghdad to Western Sahara, an alphabetic listing of the world's prominent separation barriers builds a wall of its own. Name. Baghdad wall. Country. Iraq. Built. Year. Under construction. Length. 5 kilometers. Type. Civil pacification. Name. Belfast Peace Lines. Country. Northern Ireland. Built. Year. 1970s. Length. 0.5 kilometers. Average. Type. Civil pacification. Name, Ceuta border fence, country, Spain and Morocco, built, year, 2001, length, 8 kilometers, type, anti, illegal immigration, name, China, North Korea barrier, country, China and North Korea, built, year, under construction, length, 1416 kilometers, type, anti, illegal immigration, name, Egypt, Gaza barrier, country, Egypt and Palestinian territories, built, year, 1979, length, 3.071 kilometers, type, anti, terrorism and illegal immigration, Name, Indian Kashmir Barrier, Country, India, Built, Year, 2004, Length, 550 kilometers, Type, Anti-Terrorism, Name, Indo-Bangladesh Barrier, Country, India, and Bangladesh, Built, Year, Under Construction, Length, 3,268 kilometers, Type, Anti-Illegal Immigration, Name, Iran-Pakistan Border, Country, Iran, and Pakistan, Built, Year, Under Construction, Length, 700 kilometers, Type, Anti-Drug Smuggling, Name, Israeli West Bank Barrier, Country, Israel, and Palestinian Territories, Built, Year under construction, length 703 kilometers, type and a terrorism name Kazakh Uzbekistan barrier, country Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan built year 2006, length 45 kilometers, type and a drug smuggling name Korean Wall, country North Korea and South Korea built year 1953, length 248 kilometers, type conflict zone name Kuwait Iraq barrier, country Kuwait and Iraq built year 1991, length 193 kilometers, type Conflict zone, name, Malaysia-Thailand barrier, country, Malaysia and Thailand, built, year, proposed, length, 650 kilometers, type, and a terrorism, name, Melilla border fence, country, Spain and Morocco, built, year, 1998, length, 11 kilometers, type, and a illegal immigration, name, Russia-Chechnya barrier, country, Russia, built, year, proposed, length, 700 kilometers, type, and a terrorism, name, Sharm el-Sheikh barrier, country, Egypt, built, year, 2005, length, 20 kilometers, 
kilometers type and a terrorism name Turkmen Uzbekistan barrier country Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan built year 2001 length 1700 kilometers type and a illegal immigration name United Nations buffer zone in Cyprus country Cyprus and northern Cyprus built year 1974 length 300 kilometers type conflict zone name United States Mexico barrier country United States and Mexico built year under construction length 3360 kilometers type and a illegal immigration and and a drug smuggling name western sahara firm of country morocco and western sahara built year 1987 length 2700 kilometers type conflict zone all you need is a separation barrier by niall farrell So I know you, Julie, and I know that you are probably already thinking about 2012, and I'm wondering what you're thinking about. Well, I have a few ideas, but I'm actually curious to know what other people might find as good collaborators or useful or exciting collaborators for the next Short Docs project. So uh, we are taking suggestions uh, uh-huh. for resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Um, and we're, we're always looking for someone that's going to bring something brand new, something that will translate into audio, some somebody that's going to reach out to a new audience and help us spread the word about the great and mighty power of the radio medium. Um, but yeah, as of this point, we have not committed to to a partner yet. So um, maybe someone listening dance right now. Dance card is open. Yeah, dance card's open. And I just want to remind folks that you can hear every submission to the last four short docs projects and learn all about them and the rules and the partners we collaborated with um, on our website. Uh, just look for the competitions tab, and they're listed right under there with the other competition. Thirdcoastfestival.org. Keeping your eyes gently closed. Close your eyes tightly. It will rain. It will rain. And after having what she described as her most thrilling experience, she climbed down from the tree next day, a queen. ReSound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the Agadino Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Chicago's Navy Pier, and American Airlines. Special thanks to the many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, oh my God.
Um, bye. Bye-bye. Bye.